Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 6, verse 18 with Noah and the first mentioning of the word covenant in the Bible and what it means to our lives today. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, thank you so much for being the God of our new beginnings. We, Lord, look forward to the new year. We look forward to a new beginning with you. And this morning, Lord, we just pray the words of the song. We need Jesus. We need him to the end. No friend like him. He's the sinner's friend. So we thank you, Lord, for being for us a great friend. Teach us now, our friend, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll uh, refresh ourselves here by reading these verses. Genesis chapter 6, starting verse 17. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark, to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls of their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast shalt thou take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and his female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. Noah went in, his sons, his wives, his sons' wives with them into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean, of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. Okay, now today we hope to, maybe, no promises, finishing Genesis chapter 6 and uh, moving on to Genesis chapter 7. But in Genesis chapter 7, opens with the words, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. That's what we just read. Now, how long a period of time is covered in Genesis chapter 6 until we come to that verse? How long? About 120 years. It was at least 120 years from the time when we first read that phrase in Genesis 6, 3. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. The point in time when he said that, Genesis 6, 3, to the next point in time in Genesis 7, 1, and the Lord said unto Noah, come thou in all thy house and to the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So 120 years from the time point of the announcement of what? Judgment, right? The announcement of the judgment was Genesis 6, 3, to the point of the execution of the judgment, which is Genesis 7-1. See, there's 120 years from the time point of the announcement of the judgment to the execution of the judgment. And we looked at that. That's interesting that it was such a long time because the Bible calls out that in 1 Peter 3-20 when it speaks about 
that time period in 1 Peter 3.20 where it says, which sometime were disobedient, and here's the phrase, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Now, that long 120 years was called by God the time period when once the long-suffering of God waited. That means the patience of God was waiting during that time period. What was God waiting for? Well, what he was waiting for was just to hear the words of anyone that was spoken by the public in Luke 18, 13, where it says he stood afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying these words, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. So all God was waiting for was just to hear that. All that time he was just waiting, as it says in Hosea 5.15, about the Jewish people, about the nation of Israel. He says in Hosea 5.15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. Two things. Acknowledge their offense and seek my face. Just by calling themselves a sinner, as that publican did, that's acknowledging their offense. And then just by saying, be merciful to me, that's seeking the face of God. That's all God was waiting for during those 120 years, was for any lost sinful man to fall on his face and to confess to God, he's a sinner and he deserves judgment. And then cry out to him for the mercy of God and follow God. That's all he was waiting for during that whole time. So we could call, as we said, Genesis 6-3, the announcement of the judgment. We could call Genesis 7-1, the execution of the judgment. So if Genesis 6-3 is the announcement of the judgment, and Genesis 7-1 is the execution of the judgment... What do we call the verses or the time period in between? What would you call that? Grace. Grace, yeah, good. What else? What? Patience of God. Patience of God. These are all right. The love of God. See, all those are giving the reasons why he did it. The grace of God, the patience of God, the love of God. It's the stay of education. Or it's the postponement of the judgment. That's what it is. It's the postponement of the judgment. Announcement of the judgment, Genesis 6-3. Execution of the judgment, Genesis 7-1. Time in between, postponement of the judgment. The Bible says in in Romans 3-23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Solomon, king of Israel, said at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8-46, There is no man that sinneth not. Such a great revelation for us, right? (laughs) Unfortunately. All right, there's no man that sinneth not. Those verses are for every person an announcement of the judgment. The soul that's in it that shall die in Ezekiel, so forth. But the Bible also says in Hebrews 9.27 that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So that verse is for everyone describing the time of the execution of the judgment, the time of their death. So, if Romans 3.23 is for everyone, the announcement of the judgment, and Hebrews 9.23 
is the time of each person's death. The execution of the judgment. What is a person's lifetime called? A person's lifetime is called the postponement of the judgment. Think about that word in Hebrews 9.27, the word once. For is appointed unto man once to die. Let's get that in our minds from Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then think about that same word as we've been covering in 1 Peter 3.20, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Now, okay, now we got both those verses in our minds. we got those one single word in both those verses, Hebrews 9.27, 1 Peter 3.20, once it is appointed unto man once to die, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Now, with those in mind, think of how you can title each person's lifetime by filling in a blank like this. For blanks, lifetime, that was the time when once the judgment of God waited for blank. Okay, So for John's lifetime, that was the time when once the long-suffering of God waited for John. For Mary's lifetime, that was the time when once the long-suffering of God waited for Mary. What was God waiting for during the time of that once for John's lifetime or that once for Mary's lifetime, that once for anyone's lifetime? The same thing he was waiting for during those 120 years. That that would be the time when God was waiting for anyone and everyone to acknowledge their sin and seeking his face by crying out to God, be merciful to me, a lost sinner, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the amazing fact that God waits so long, a lifetime for us, a lifetime. That's the meaning behind the song. God calling at, shall I not hear? In other words, shall I decide not to hear? Earth's pleasures, shall I still hold dear? In other words, distracted by earth's pleasures. Shall life's swift passing years all fly by? And still my soul in slumber lie? God calling yet, and shall he knock? And I my heart the closer lock? And he still is waiting to receive. And shall I dare his spirit grieve? God calling yet, I cannot stay. My heart I yield without delay. Vain world, farewell from thee I part. The voice of God hath reached my heart. I love that song because it doesn't just describe the opening of the heart. That's what God's waiting for. He's waiting for his voice to reach the heart. The door to the heart to be unlocked. He's waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to be received as as Savior and Master. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is waiting for during a life which we could call the postponement of the judgment. And during this postponement of judgment... Romans 10, 13 holds true for any person. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nationally speaking, for the Jewish people, the Lord Jesus Christ is waiting during this time of the fragile peace. And that's what you have to call it. With the enemies of the Jewish people. It's a fragile peace. And during this time of the fragile peace, it's the postponement of the judgment. But during this time of the postponement of the judgment, or what we call the fragile peace with Jewish enemies, it's Romans 10, 13 holds for any Jewish person that for whosoever shall call 
upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Genesis 6.18 is a very, very important verse. Why? Because it's the first time in the Bible we said that the word covenant is used, but with thee will I establish my covenant. Thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And as we saw in our last study, this is the first time that the word covenant is used in the Bible. And we looked at something last time in our last study, and that was there is a tie between covenant and creation. Okay, so how do you know that, that there is a tie between covenant and creation? How do you know that every time you see the word covenant, you're supposed to think of creation? What is the tie between them? Anybody remember? Oh, you do such a great job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to tell it again. You know, it's like, oh, yes, from Clinton. Uh, you know, the, the bara, second word in the Bible, is a root word. It's a Hebrew root word. And so the way it works is that in Hebrew, many words come from a root word. And so berit comes from the root word create. So it's related to create. So when you see the word covenant in the Bible, you should think of creation. Tom, today you talked about God's covenant. Now, it's not uncommon to think of the Ten Commandments when we think of God's covenant. But there's no good news or gospel in the Ten Commandments. So whenever we think about God's covenant, what theme should guide our thoughts? Yeah, that's exactly right. There is no gospel. There is no good news for us in the Ten Commandments, because if we're absolutely honest, then we'll, we'll recognize and we'll understand that we've broken the Ten Commandments. We've broken God's covenant. But that was God's covenant also. That was one covenant. That's why the Old Testament is called the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, because it contains the law, not to say that the Old Testament does not have God's new covenant. It certainly does. But as far as we have to make this distinction between God's old covenant and God's new covenant, God's old covenant was summarized by Moses in Deuteronomy 8.1 when he said, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. The point that Moses was making here when he was speaking to the Jewish people was the word all. If you're going to commit yourself to, to life, eternal life, by, the, by your life, by your actions, then you have committed yourself to never break any of God's commandments, to keep all of, God command, of God's commandments, because it only takes one sin. That's all it takes. One One sin to keep you out of heaven. That's it. Just one sin to keep you out of heaven. And if you were to be honest and ask yourself the question today, how many times in a day do I sin? Wouldn't you say, if you were honest, that you sin at least once per day? And so if you said, okay, you know, uh, let's say that you're, 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 you're 30 years old and you sin once per day, and we'll even take off the first 10 years of life, just say, uh, just, uh, you know, for the age of accountability, and we'll just say, for 20 years, for 20 years, you have sinned once per day. That means that you've sinned about eight thousand times if you're 30 years old. And so the point behind this is, is that all it takes is one sin, one breaking of God's commandment to block anybody from going to heaven. And Moses said, all the commandments, which I command thee this day, shall you observe to do that ye may live. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, when we look at the first covenant, what it does is it strips us away of every thought that we can justify ourselves before God, and it makes us cry out to God for his other 
other covenant, his new covenant, his new testament. And that's what the law does for us. The law is a mirror. We look in the mirror and we say, I've sinned. Have mercy upon me. I've sinned. When the when there was a lawyer, it says in Luke 10, 25, there was a certain lawyer. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. This is a lawyer. So here we have a certain Jewish lawyer speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 10, 25. And it says, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying, master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, this is the Lord Jesus Christ replies, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might, mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. See, he's talking about the first covenant here. The Lord Jesus Christ is talking about the first covenant, the old covenant. This do, and thou shalt live. That's exactly what Moses said in Deuteronomy 8.1 when he says, All the commandments shall you observe to do that ye may live. So the Lord Jesus Christ is repeating that. He says, if this is the road that you want to go down, when you start and you say, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do, in other words, to merit eternal life? What What should I do to be worthy of eternal life? What should I do to be righteous to gain eternal life? That's the road he's going down. He's walking right down the the road of the first covenant of the Old Testament of keeping the law in order that he can gain his way into eternal life. And so the Lord Jesus Christ said, fine, you want to go down that road? What do you read? And he says, well, I read that I should love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and my neighbor as herself. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, you have answered right. Thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. Right there, that phrase, this do and thou shalt live, is the caption phrase. It's the motto phrase for the law. This do and live. That's the motto phrase for the law. This do and live. And then it says in verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And we won't go through the the whole passage there, but the point is he's still walking down the middle of the road of I'm going to work my way into heaven. By my own works, I'm going to stand. He says he wants, it says here, he he wants to justify himself. A person who justifies himself has no need of God's justification because he's justifying himself. A person who justifies himself has no need of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, who it says in Isaiah 53, so shall my righteous servant justify many. He doesn't need for God, the Messiah, to justify him because he's saying, it says here, that he wants to justify himself. So when it's all about what shall I I do to inherit eternal life, when it's all about how can I justify myself, then it's nothing about God's second covenant, God's new covenant. That's nothing at all because he's staying with the first one there. It's called the law. That's why we refer to it as the law. But in the Old Testament, we have plenty of God's New Testament, new covenant. And the new covenant is always, it's interesting because Moses says in Deuteronomy 7, 2, when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before the thou shalt smite them, utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, and sh- nor show mercy to them. So he's got to hear this, this term, covenant mercy. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, he says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy. We have a marriage here between two terms, covenant and mercy. Deuteronomy seven twelve says that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy, which he swear unto thy fathers, the covenant covenant, the covenant, habrit, it's specific, the 
covenant. Not any covenant, but the covenant. And not any mercy, but the mercy. And in 1 Kings 8, 23, it speaks about that the Lord God of Israel, there's no God like him in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepeth covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. In Second Chronicles six fourteen, again it says the Lord. It speaks about the Lord God of Israel who keeps covenant and shows mercy. In Nehemiah one five, it speaks about it speaks when the prayer was made. Nehemiah made the prayer to God and he said, Oh, he said, I beseech the O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him. In Nehemiah 9.32, he says, Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, the terrible God, who keepeth covenant and mercy. David says in Psalm 25.10, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keepeth covenant. In Psalm 89.28, My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand. In Isaiah 54.10, it speaks about the covenant of my peace and the mercy on thee, and so forth. And that was the first words that Zechariah, as soon as his tongue was loosed uh, in uh, Luke 172, he said, when he looked to God and he prayed from his heart and he said, Lord, you come to perform the mercy, the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. So you see, the point is here that the second covenant and what should guide our thoughts when we talk about the covenant, because we're talking about the new covenant, it's mercy, it's mercy, it's the covenant. What's the covenant? The covenant is that the Lord Lord Jesus Christ took on him our sins. He died for our sins. And as it says in Isaiah 53, if we make his soul our offering for sin, then we become his seed and he gives us eternal life. He prolongs our day and he uses us. The pleasure of the Lord will prosper in our hands. That's the mercy of God. That's the covenant of God. It's all about mercy. It's all about falling on God and saying, and, and falling on God's mercy and saying, oh God, if I go down the road of the first covenant, this do and live, already before I start, I know I have sinned. If I just sin once per day, thousands upon thousands of sins have heaped up against me. But I can't do that. So I need your second option. What's your second option? Have mercy on me, a lost sinner. What is the reply to the prayer that God hears? Have mercy on me, a lost sinner. God's reply is, look to the Lamb of God. Just like when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness in Numbers, he says, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not have eternal life. And then right from that passage there, he goes into, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The question is, what do you believe? Well, the verses before talk about the son of man being lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent. So what you believe is that this was God's sacrifice for your sins, that when he was lifted up and he died on the cross, he died for you, that when he so suffered the wrath of God, and the and the beatings and the nails and the being bled to death. He did that for you as God's sacrifice. So you make his soul. You say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my God and my Savior. You're my lamb. You're the lamb of God, but you're my lamb who died for my sins. When you walk down that road, then you're walking down God's mercy covenant, his covenant of mercy. And that's what always should guide our thoughts. When we think of the covenant, we think of the first 
first covenant that condemns us and makes us cry unto God for the second covenant, which is the mercy covenant, which is receiving the Lord Jesus Christ so that I do not have to stand with all my sins in bare sight of God because his blood has covered me from my sins. And so therefore, I I repeat the words that he said at the Passover, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Thank you for joining us today. Now, Noah was a preacher of righteousness who was moved with fear and compassion while God was giving mankind space to repent. Now, will you be like a Noah and carry out the message of hope and gladness to the lost Jewish people around you that you encounter every day? And maybe you'd like to reach this acquaintance or coworker, friend, family member, or maybe even someone that you just have as a next-door neighbor, and you want to reach them with the gospel, we want to help you at Israel Restoration Ministries by providing you with a free Tom Cantor testimony DVD and testimony booklet. Again, it's free. We'll send it to you or send it to them. If you want to reach a lost Jewish person with the gospel, an effective Jewish evangelism tool, we've got it for you. We'll provide it free if you give it to them or give us their information have it mailed to them. Call us today at one 800 247 3051. 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. It's free if it'll go to a lost Jewish person so that they can know that the Lord Jesus Christ is their Messiah. Now, you can also go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can click on the sign-up button right there at the home page, and you can sign up to have a gift delivered directly to you or to a lost Jewish person, or maybe even if you're a lost Jewish person who's seeking information about the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Nicodemus. You can fill out the information. We'll have the gift mailed directly to you or to them. And while there, you can also sign up to receive Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse email that can come directly to your phone or email. Right there, sign up for a free gift for a lost Jewish person and for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse and an Israel Restorations newsletter is available as well, too, that you can sign up for. So go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also download free copies of today's message, past messages. Or again, you can call us at 1-800-247-3051.